This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morford. And we just want to let everybody know that our podcast, Criminology, is back for season two. We'll be covering the case of the East Area Rapist Golden State Killer, responsible for over 50 rapes and a dozen murders throughout California. And we're going to get into every detail of this predator that terrorized California from 1976 to 1986. This predator needs to be identified. So check out Criminology. Criminology, the first episode of season two comes out on February 24th. You can find Criminology on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Insight. I'm Charlie, and with me, as always, is Allie. How are you, Allie? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Tonight, we are going to talk about the 2015 disappearance of a two-year-old little boy known for his love of Hot Wheels cars and his chattering personality, Dior Koontz. Dior was camping with his parents, great-grandfather, and a friend of his great-grandfather's in Idaho when he vanished. The window given for his disappearance, based on family reports, is just 20 minutes. This case really interested me because I used to live out near Idaho Falls where Dior was living. So a national news story and with him being from Idaho Falls, it really caught my attention when I heard these words, you know, Idaho Falls, Salmon Chalice. Major props go out to the East Idaho News who have done an amazing job reporting on all angles of this case. And a thank you to Jessica Bentoncourt for her assistance in researching this episode. Dior Kuntz Jr. was born to Jessica Mitchell and Vernal Dior Kuntz Sr. To keep this from getting confusing, we're going to call the father Vernal. Jessica and Vernal had been high school sweethearts, but at some point they had split up. Dior was their first and only child together, though Jessica had two older children with her first husband. Jessica, Vernal, and Dior, they lived with Vernal's parents. Jessica's other two children lived primarily with their father. Vernal worked as a truck driver, and I've seen it reported both that Jessica stayed home with Dior, but she had become a registered nurse's aide when Dior was a baby, and she may have been working as a home health care provider to her grandfather. On Thursday, July 9, 2015, the family were heading out to camp at Salmon Chalice National Forest. Now, Salmon Chalice is huge, but for those familiar with the area, they were camping near Ladoa in Lemhi County. They left in the evening after Vernal got off work for the two-hour drive from their home in Idaho Falls. Dior was two and a half years old at the time. Jessica and Vernal have never been to that camp area. Vernal has said that he didn't even really like camping that much and they had other plans that weekend. But Jessica's grandfather, Grandpa Bob, as he's affectionately called, he had been there several times throughout his life and wanted to go back up there. He was rather ill with both COPD and cancer from what I can understand. Jessica's mum didn't want him to go alone, but she couldn't go up there until Saturday night or Sunday, so she asked Jessica to go along and help her grandfather. Bob also wanted to bring a friend of his, Isaac Renoir. 
Isaac was a general handyman who lived in the neighbourhood and had been neighbourly friends with Bob for about five years. While the family hadn't met Isaac before, Jessica's mother has said the family was glad for Isaac. With Bob's limitations due to being so ill, having a friend like Isaac was good for him. Jessica said that they went to Isaac's home a few times that day, but he wasn't home. They were going to check with him one more time before heading out to the campground. This time he was home though, so they all left in two vehicles. Jessica, Vernal and Dior were in Vernal's black truck and Isaac and Bob were in Bob's SUV and they were pulling his camper behind them. They stopped at a gas station and Vernal got a personal pizza to share with Dior, but Dior stayed in the truck. Jessica was hungry later, but they stopped at a restaurant partway to the campsite. The restaurant was closed when they got there, so they continued on to Salmon Chalice. They arrived around 9.30 or 10 o'clock. Vernal said it was pitch black dark when they arrived, but Isaac said it was only getting dark. There are little inconsistencies in the story like this, but it could be just perception or maybe they misremember events. But when little inconsistencies start adding up between the tellings, people can start getting suspicious. And I think that's a large part of what has gotten people interested in this story. The first night, Jessica, Vernal and Dior slept in the back of Bob's SUV. Bob slept in the camper and Isaac in a tent. The rest of the story is going to be a little hard to tell because of those little conflicting details. For instance, in a written statement, Jessica said that Vernal helped get the camper off the hitch and set it up for the night. In a video statement, Vernal says they could tell every time Bob got up in the camper because it was still attached to the SUV, so the SUV would shake a bit when he was walking around. This is such a little thing and very likely doesn't mean anything other than that they remember Thursday night slightly differently. But I wanted to pick something kind of benign to illustrate how easily this conflicting information makes it into the narrative. Also, according to Vernal, he said Isaac seemed annoyed that they had brought the toddler on the trip with them. We can't go further into laying out what happened without giving you some very quick geography. You have to be able to picture the campsite just a little bit. So to explain it, it was a fully cleared area in a mountainous region. There was a steep treed incline to the creek on one side of the campsite. The campsite wasn't deep in the woods. There were trees around the area, but there was a lot of wide open, unobstructed views with the creek being the only obvious and immediate worry you would have with a toddler. Really, at the campsite, they could see a distance in all ways except down that incline to the creek. So I'm going to take it from the story that they were the only family camping that weekend. They were the only ones in that immediate area. There were likely other people around, but they were under the impression it was just them. And the slope to the creek was steep enough and rocky enough. It would have been difficult for a toddler to have made it down by himself. The next morning is where the timeline is really important. So we will walk through everyone's perspective. 
We'll start with Jessica and Vernal since they essentially were together for most of the time. So the family wakes up, either on their own or Isaac wakes them up, and they make breakfast. Either Jessica makes it or Vernal does or they make it together. Again, little details that aren't consistently reported. After breakfast, Vernal and Jessica put Dior into his car seat and they head to Lador. Jessica has started her period and she needed supplies. While they were in town, the plan was to get snacks for everyone and Vernal wanted to get some fuel. He had just bought a new truck. Well, it was new to him. He had only gotten it a few days before, but it was a second-hand car. The gas gauge was broken, so he didn't know how much fuel he had in the car and he wanted to fill it up so they didn't run out of gas. It was a 30 to 40 minute drive each way. They stopped at the general store to ask where they could buy fuel. As Charlie said, this is a small town. Lador had a population of about 100 people. So this isn't like there would be a gas station on every corner. They were directed to somewhere near the store, they go there and they're told that they don't have any diesel. So they try a second place and they manage to get the fuel there. They then return to the general store. They go inside with Dior and pick out snacks. While at the store, Jessica felt there was a man watching or more like staring at Dior and this made her quite uncomfortable. Vernal said that they were in town for about an hour. They would later say that a man at the gas station, people in the store and the beer delivery man all saw and interacted with Dior while they were in town. It's important to note that when they were asked about this later, none of these people remember Dior. They remember seeing Jessica and Vernal, but not him. When they returned to the campground, the only vehicle they passed was a truck with a horse trailer. It would turn out to be a ranch hand truck. Bob and Isaac showed Vernal and Jessica the fish that they had caught in the creek while Vernal and Jessica had been in town. Though the creek was not deep, there were a lot of downed trees creating fishing holes. Jessica wanted to go fishing and wanted to see where they fished, so Bob said, Isaac will take you down there because he was too tired. He was worn out. As Ali said, he had health issues and he had been fishing all morning. It was nearly Dior's nap time, so his parents left him in his camp chair with his candy and snacks, and Jessica asked Grandpa Bob to keep an eye on Dior. According to Vernal, Dior started to follow them, and Vernal called out to Bob something like, aren't you watching him? You know, something like that. Vernal asked Dior if he wanted to stay with his grandpa or go with him, and Bob kind of... I don't know, told Dior, hey, I have candy over here, kind of to get him to come back to the campsite, and that's what Dior did. They didn't go down to the creek right at the edge of where they were camping. They walked down the clearing a bit, so they were walking parallel to the creek. And like I said, it's an unobstructed view, so they could have seen Dior, Dior could have seen them this whole time. They walked parallel to the creek until they got to the fishing spot, and then they turned to go down to the creek. Vernal said Isaac didn't come all the way down to the creek with them. He just pointed out the spot, and he went back up towards the campsite. At the creek, Vernal saw some minnows swimming that he thought Dior would like to see, so he went back 
to check on Dior and to get him. And honestly, it didn't sound like Vernal wanted to be there. He didn't want to be fishing. So he was going to go check on Dior, show him the minnows. And when he got up, he started walking towards the campsite and he looked and he didn't see Dior, but he saw Bob there. So he called out to Bob and said, you know, where's Dior? And Bob said, I thought he was with you. The fishing spot wasn't that far from the campsite. Vernal had this conversation with Bob about where Dior was, and then he was able to turn around in the same spot and call down to Jessica that Dior was missing without without moving. That's how close they were to each other. They were in shouting distance. I know going into this, I was under the impression that they had gone off further from the campsite. That's what I thought. Yeah, or into the woods or something, but they really weren't that far away. And this is a pretty clear area. But again, you go down that embankment to the creek and there's trees, you wouldn't see people there. But those were the events of the day, according to the parents. They essentially put themselves in each other's presence the entire time. And they split up only after realising Dior was missing. And that's when they head out in different directions to look for him. Isaac has reportedly been extremely consistent with his story. One of the most important things is that he puts Dior at the campsite at key moments. He reports seeing Dior in the back seat when they left for the campground. He said it was almost dark by the time they got to the campground, so they built a fire and set up camp. During breakfast that morning, he said Dior was happy as can be. He was tossing stuff into the campfire and that Verna was telling him to stop doing that. Isaac was still tired, so he went back to sleep after breakfast. When he got up again, and that was around noon, the family were heading into town. He said that when they were gone, Bob showed Isaac some good fishing spots. Now, noon doesn't really make sense for the family to leave. It was a 60-minute round trip, plus the hour that they spent in town. That would put them back at 2pm, with a 911 call being at 2.35. Now, that timeline doesn't fit to Dior being missing for an hour or more, So I would dial the trip to town back to 11am, with them returning being more like 1pm. When they got back, Isaac says Bob suggested that Isaac show the family the fishing spots. He was under the impression, all three of them, so Vernal, Jessica and Dior, that they were following him, but when they got down there, only Jessica was with him. He didn't think that was weird though, he just assumed that Dior and his father were just further back. Anyone who's gone for a walk with a two-year-old knows that you stop every couple of seconds to see a leaf or a branch because they like inspecting things. The spot they went down to the creek, it was probably about 300 feet or 91 metres from the campsite. Isaac then left to go fishing by himself in a spot closer to the campsite, but it was where he couldn't see Jessica or Vernal. He did not report seeing Dior when he walked back towards the camp, but he didn't go all the way to the camp before heading back down the embankment to the creek to go fishing. The next thing Isaac saw was Bob pacing around the ridge above where he was fishing, and he asked Bob what's going on. Bob said they couldn't find Dior, so Isaac started to help with the search. He said he went up to the reservoir to see if Dior had wandered off that way. He focused going up and down hills in the search because he knew Bob wasn't able to. 
Vernal said he didn't see Isaac for the entire time they were searching, and Isaac backs this up. When he found out Dior was missing, Vernal and Jessica were already out searching. Jessica came back to the camp at one point. He reports she was upset, she was distraught, but he didn't see Vernal during the search either. Isaac is clear that he did see Dior get into the truck when they left to go into town and when they returned from town. As for Bob, he was sitting in his camp chair. Like we said, he was quite ill at the time. He said he didn't hear Jessica ask him to watch Dior, and he thought Dior had gone with his parents. So this conversation that Vernal says he had with Bob was either misunderstood between them or it possibly didn't happen the way Vernal is remembering it or is telling it now. Though Bob would have presumably been the last one to see Dior, it's hard to imagine he was involved in something nefarious. He was on oxygen. He had an oxygen tank with him, which limited his mobility, particularly in this very rocky area. He had just spent a few hours fishing and showing Isaac all the best fishing holes. To think he then had the ability, the strength, or the energy to spirit Dior away in that 15 to 20 minute time frame, I feel like that's a huge stretch. I'm just really confused at the situation where Bob has called Dior back for the candy and then he thinks that Dior is with Vernal. It sounds like they have just two different memories or stories about what happened. Because if that instance is correct, it means that Bob has just let Dior wander off on his own and with a creek nearby, it's asking for trouble. If it happened the way Vernal said and they had this whole conversation and he still let Dior follow his parents without letting them know, that would have been horribly negligent. On the other hand, Bob said he didn't know he was watching Dior. He thought they were taking him with them. So, I mean, we... We don't know. And this is just, again, one example of the different stories. Because I can understand being in a situation where you're stressed, the child's gone missing. So your stories can be a bit mixed up. But these are dramatically different stories. Yes. And they've been told at various times over the last few years. So it's not like this is just the initial stories don't match. The stories change as time goes on. So everyone's realised that Dior is missing, so the search begins. They search the campsite first, the camper, the vehicles, pretty much anywhere Dior may had hidden himself. Then they went around frantically, according to them, but they were yelling his name and his nicknames and waiting to hear back from him. He was an active little guy, but not a wanderer. He had some age-appropriate separation anxiety and didn't like to be far from his mother's side. This may be why Bob assumed that Dior had followed his parents. He was also wearing oversized cowboy boots, so he would have been clomping around in them and unlikely to make it very far. It was estimated that Dior was missing for 15 to 20 minutes when his dad went to look for him. After looking for 45 minutes to an hour, they decided it was time to call for help. At some point before calling 911, Jessica called her mother. Her mother reports that she was at work and had her phone on silent. On her break, though, she checked her phone and saw a bunch of missed calls. 
She called right away because, as you can imagine, she was worried that something was wrong with Grandpa Bob. She said that she found Jessica distraught. She told Jessica to call 911. The call to 911 dispatch was received around 2.35pm. Vernal also decided to call 911, so I imagine that they weren't together at this point in the search. He looked at his cell phone and didn't have a strong signal, so he got into his truck and drove closer to town until his phone picked up a signal. He said it was about a half a mile he drove. He then called 911 and was told Jessica was already on the line with them. Her 911 call was recorded and you can hear the time that Vernal called on her recording. He was told to wait there in case 911 needed to call him back. So he stayed there, he called his dad because he was panicked and needed his dad to calm him down, but his dad didn't answer his phone. Vernal eventually couldn't stand just sitting there while his son was missing, so he went back up to the campsite. Due to the rural and remote area involved, it took police and search and rescue an hour and 18 minutes to be on the scene. So at this stage, Dior was probably missing for about three hours. An extensive search began as soon as search and rescue got there. The sheriff's deputy is quoted as saying that with kids that age, 75% are found within four-tenths of a mile. By the time you get out to 2.8 miles, 95% of kids are found. So the search was initially for a three-mile radius around the campsite, but later expanded to nearly five miles. Dogs were brought in, trained searchers, but also locals familiar with that campsite and that area. They helped on foot and on ATVs and even on horseback. The creek was fast moving in spots, but it was not terribly deep. I've read anywhere from knee deep to waist high on an adult in the deepest parts, but obviously that's pretty deep for a two-year-old. Searchers and hip waders cleared debris from the creek during their search, and they even got down on their hands and knees looking for little Dior. The searchers would eventually start marking the trees with ribbons to mark the areas that had already been searched so they could do a thorough job. They wouldn't accidentally search one area on the grid twice while missing another area entirely. It was a very thorough, organized search from what I can tell. It's honestly reading about it. It's one of, you know, we've read about a lot of search efforts. This one, they pulled out all the stops on the search. Late at night on the 10th and into the 11th, a search helicopter from Montana came over. Now, this search helicopter was like state-of-the-art. It had thermal cameras that could detect heat. It had night vision, but it didn't find anything. The search continued for 10 days, just full-on, before it was then scaled back, but the area would continue to be searched over the last two and a half years since Dior went missing. Cadaver dogs hit on a few spots in the searches, One major issue is that someone had, with permission, been up at the reservoir to scatter the cremated remains of a loved one. They even came into contact with Dior's parents and the searchers. It's believed the dogs may have hit on this 
A sonar search of the reservoir was conducted and divers combed every inch, but it turned up nothing. Another concern was wild animals. Now, most animal attacks would have left some kind of evidence behind, particularly as Dior was wearing those oversized boots, and that would have come off if a big cat or a wolf grabbed him and dragged him off. Regardless, a wolf den was searched in the early days of the search because there was a known pack of 15 wolves in the area. Now, wolf attacks aren't terribly frequent, but the vast majority of them are of children, but they found nothing. Local law enforcement was aided by the FBI in their investigations. The parents, Grandpa Bob and Isaac, were interviewed a number of times and polygraphed, as were other members of the family who weren't even there, like Jessica's mother. Jessica's mother's house was even searched, and they brought cadaver dogs to it. The reports of the polygraph tests indicate that Vernal and Jessica failed or had inconclusive results on multiple polygraphs, but they did take them all voluntarily. Isaac and Bob both had theirs come back inconclusive, but they both had health problems that law enforcement knew about, and they had a feeling they were going to come back inconclusive due to this, so this wasn't a surprise. Shortly after Dior went missing, a retired U.S. Marshal turned private investigator named Frank Vilt volunteered to help the family in the investigation. He knew the family not well, but Vernal worked in a body shop in the town Vilt lived in in the past, and he had seen Dior in town a couple of times. He only charged them for expenses. He did not ask for his usual hourly fee. In August, Vilt gave an interview saying he fully believed that Dior had been kidnapped. He was investigating the lead of the man staring at Dior in the town. It was reported the man drove a Jeep and another woman reported the same type of behavior, this man just staring at her child. The lead, though, did not result in any new information. Vilt even set up a tip line He received a few calls, but they didn't seem to go anywhere. A month later, Vilt wrote a letter to the family saying he was no longer going to work on the case. The letter was released to the media four months later, and it's available in full online. Vilt said there were a few reasons he was withdrawing. One was the family's reluctance to let him take the case to a national audience or to approve a reward. Which is crazy to me. If it was my missing child, I would want that news out as far as possible. If a reward can be raised, you get that out there. You try to get as much information as you can. There are some conflicting reports, of course, with this too, where it sounds like the parents are saying that they were following law enforcement advice. The law enforcement said, we never said not to do a reward. We just said we weren't going to be in charge of it. It just seems like a kind of a mess, really. A lot of, a lot of he said, she said type of stuff. Absolutely. That is a lot of it. The other main reason Vilt said he was withdrawing from the case is that he took it on for free with one condition that the family be completely honest and forthcoming with him. While he doesn't say why, he said he believes that the parents had lied to him. 
He believes the searches will be unproductive as they are only used as a cover for a crime that one or both of the parents were involved in. And with his letter of withdrawal from the case, he also attached his expenses sheet for payment, saying that they didn't pay his expenses. Like I said, it's not clear what Vilt thought they were lying about or what the crime was, because he also said in another interview that he still believes there's an abduction involved. And he even released a description at one point of a male in his 50s, long white hair, driving a Jeep Rubicon. He said he passed all the information to law enforcement that he had collected during his investigation. So the people who need the information, which is the sheriff's department, they have it. Now, Vilt wasn't the only private investigator involved. Vernal's father, also a Dior Coons, but we'll use his middle name of Dennis for the sake of clarity. Dennis had hired Klein Investigations and Consulting out of Texas in November of 2015, so just two months after Vilt quit. Dennis reportedly paid him $20,000 for his services that he raised through community fundraisers. Philip Klein, who was the owner of Klein Investigations, he travelled to Idaho and interviewed everyone that was made available to him. Isaac had retained an attorney at this point and would not talk to him. In the contract between Dennis and Klein Investigations, it stated that information found would only be passed on to the client, meaning Dennis, and that was unless something illegal occurred in the case and that would be then passed on to the police. But that's not what happened. In January of 2016, the Lemhi County Sheriff named Vernal and Jessica as suspects in the disappearance of Dior. This was in response to people calling the sheriff's office asking if they should donate to the family. The family had raised nearly $30,000, 20 of which went to Klein. The sheriff was quoted as saying, everyone needs to make the decision on their own, but they need to know that mum and dad are being less than truthful and they need to make a decision on whether to donate based on that. Klein made social media statements at the time that his investigation has not shown anything that would contradict the sheriff's statement that Jessica and Vernal should be suspects. And he further said that his findings lead towards murder or accidental death. The Coons family asked for a meeting with Klein immediately, and he granted that request on the condition that the family attorney was not present. Now, the attorney did stay outside the meeting room, During the meeting, Klein went over what the investigation had shown. He then told Vernal that if he admitted to where Dior's body could be found, he could get a deal of six months probation, and after successful completion of that probation, the whole thing would be expunged. At some point, according to the family attorney, Alan Browning, Vernal left the room and told Browning about this deal. At that point, Browning went into the meeting room and called Klein out on this. He asked him if there was an actual deal on the table because it didn't ring true that any federal charge would have that light of a penalty. Klein said that there was a law in Texas, and that's where his business is located, that prevents him from speaking about the case with a family attorney in the room. This isn't the law in Idaho, but Klein wouldn't speak with Browning at all. Browning reminded him to keep his findings confidential. It sounds like Browning wanted the family to fire Klein 
immediately, but they chose not to. Which is interesting to me. If Klein is leaning towards the family is guilty, why would they still want him working for them? Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Except he was hired by Dennis Dior's grandfather, so maybe he was open to seeing where this went. I guess so. I guess Dennis's main. Priority was finding Dior. He didn't care how. He just wanted to find him. Right. But it finally went too far for them. In late April or early May, Klein claimed that Jessica told him that she knew where Dior's body was, but she wouldn't go further in her statement than that. This information was offered to the public without proof though you would hope he had proof that he provided to the police of the statement. I mean, this is a bombshell to say Jessica knows where Dior's body is. Revealing this publicly led to threats being made against the parents on social media. And according to Dennis, Jessica lost her job over it. So the family then fired Klein. Days after he was fired, though, he announced he was actually back on the job. Someone who wanted to remain anonymous rehired him to investigate the case. In July of 2016, Klein released the entirety of his findings to the public. I will say his findings, he released the conclusions. He did not release the method or the proof. In regards to the four people at the campsite, he said, one, that Vernal failed five polygraph examinations and had told six different stories of what happened. Jessica had failed four polygraph examinations and told five different stories. Both Vernal and Jessica were suspects in homicide, whether intentional or accidental. Now, Vernal and Jessica, in their defense, have said, They failed the polygraphs because they were nervous and they were grieving parents. But Klein counters that they had no trouble with baseline questions, like their names and where they were that day. But they showed deception even on the question, are you going to tell the truth today? As far as the story changes go, Vernal was recorded on a phone call last summer and that phone call was put out on the internet. I'm not sure that He knew he was being recorded. I'm pretty sure he didn't. He claims the only inconsistencies between the stories is who made breakfast that morning and where their dog was at various points in the day because their dog was on this trip with them too. Otherwise, he claims their stories are consistent with each other. The other findings are that Grandpa Bob was deceptive. He told two stories to investigators. He was inconclusive on his polygraph examinations and that Bob was a person of interest or a witness of the homicide. And then as for Isaac, Isaac was truthful. He told the same story to investigators four times. However, some details have been left out of the stories, according to Klein, And he considers Isaac a possible witness of the homicide. Klein claimed their cadaver dog hit on five sites. They turned the locations over to authorities for excavation, but nothing was found. There was an animal buried in one spot, but this is a trained human cadaver dog here, so it wouldn't have hit on animal remains. 
According to Klein's report, the person who buried the animal had cut his hand and bled on the towel the animal was wrapped in, and that's what the dog hit on. He said he believed the fifth spot was on a site that was a holding site for a human body before it was moved. Klein also said at a different point that a dog hit on a piece of equipment at the campsite, but he wasn't more specific as to what this was. Then Klein and his investigators searched items left behind in an apartment in Idaho Falls where Jessica and Vernal had lived. They had been evicted and the landlord had cleared out all of the stuff they left behind. It was put out by the dumpster and the landlord let Klein's investigators search through it. Klein noted four findings in his report. He found four matchbox cars that the parents said were missing before but I'm going to play the parent card here and say, I don't know where half my kid's stuff is. It's in a backpack or a diaper bag or a cup holder next to a car seat or under the bed or in a pocket of a coat. I mean, without greater context, I don't find this compelling one way or the other. Klein's investigators also found a credit card used by a family friend. It doesn't say who this friend was or what was purchased on the card, but he turned it over to law enforcement, so it must have been suggestive of something. They also found an insurance tracking device box and instruction package. This is one of those tracking boxes that insurance companies will put in your car, often so you can get an insurance discount. It monitors your speed and such. It's unknown, as far as I can tell, if the packaging was theirs or if this tracking box was in Vernal's truck that day. Speaking of tracking, I only saw a passing mention of cell phone pings. I don't know how helpful they would be since they were in a rural area and service was cutting in and out. Uh, The records may have just been too general to be of use, but law enforcement does have a record of all the calls that were placed that day as well as the attempted calls. And the problem with a rural area, it could bounce off a tower far away, not local. Exactly. One thing they found that has caused a lot of talk is they found a camo child's jacket, similar to what Dior was reportedly wearing when he went missing. It sounds like quite a lead if the clothing he was supposedly wearing is found at the apartment But, I mean, he could have had more than one camo jacket. I don't know what size the jacket was. It could have been one he had outgrown or hadn't grown into yet. So who knows? Shortly after coming onto this case, Klein said he was opening the timeline up past those 20 or so minutes to more like four hours. So we're basically talking from before Jessica and Vernal went to Lador. But he changed this in his final report. The biggest statement he made in this report was this. They could not find anyone outside of the four on the camping trip who saw Dior after they left Idaho Falls on Thursday night. They are putting their investigation of where Dior went missing back to 5pm the day before the 911 call was made. In November of 2017, Dennis and Vernal Coons and Jessica Mitchell filed a suit against Philip Klein and his company for breaching the confidentiality portion of the contract. 
In addition, he didn't provide Dennis, who was the client, with any evidence of his statements as he was supposed to, as per the contract, to report all findings. They are also suing for defamation and asking for an injunction to stop Klein from further making comments on the case. Klein then withdrew from investigating the case further. He said that we are unable to continue our efforts in this case while simultaneously defending against a suit of this nature. As we have said, the truth is the ultimate defence. We have multiple investigators on the case with multiple opinions. We have Frank Vilt who leaned towards the abduction theory. There were a few sightings of little blonde toddlers, none of whom turned out to be Dior. One interesting one was of a clerk at that store in Lador. She said she saw a man who looked dirty with a boy who looked like Dior, and the little boy was crying, and the man drove a black truck. She put this all happening at 6 p.m. the day he went missing. Vernal drives a black truck, but we know he was at the campsite with the search crews. In fact, he was up there for several days. The family stayed there camping the entire time they were searching for Dior over the course of a week or more. They didn't go home. So we know it wasn't Vernal with Dior. And a black truck is very generic. You would pass black trucks every few miles up there, I would assume. Oh, absolutely. And... What abductor would kidnap a child at, I don't know, 2 p.m. and be only 30 minutes away in the nearest town four hours later? So we have to wonder if she got the timing wrong. Is it possible she actually did see Dior with Jessica and Vernal when they were in town earlier that day? It seems unlikely to me that this is the case, though, because the difference between seeing him at lunchtime versus dinner time is pretty big, especially if you're working a shift. You know, you'd remember if you saw him at the beginning or the end of your shift. I honestly think she was she was mistaken, and the boy probably wasn't Dior. With the remoteness and the open space of the campground, it's hard to imagine anyone just opportunistically came across a little boy and grabbed him and left undetected, unless Dior wandered away from the campsite some distance. And it's possible that could have happened if Bob wasn't paying attention. If he didn't think he was watching Dior, perhaps he wasn't paying attention. He could have gone into his camper, so he didn't even, he wasn't even outside to see Dior. There was a report that someone at a campsite at the park left the campground shortly after Dior went missing, but people leave campsites. It's not terribly compelling. And unfortunately, it's hard to check on campers at this campsite because this campground that they were at in the forest was Timber Creek, and they don't take reservations. It's first come, first serve. So if Dior did wander off, it could very well be a situation where his separation anxiety played a role. Bob apparently didn't hear Jessica ask him to keep an eye on Dior, so she headed off, leaving Dior to play at the campsite. Dior noticed his mother gone and decided to clomp after her in those oversized boots. He sees her head off in one direction, but doesn't see her turn to head down towards the creek, so he just kept walking past her. 
The biggest issue people have with this theory, even though it does seem pretty logical at face value, but the problem is that they didn't find him in that very thorough search of the area. As I said, he was wearing those oversized boots and it's not believed he could have gotten terribly far in the 20 or so minutes before his parents started looking for him. But if he did manage to make it far enough away, we're talking about summer here, but this is Idaho in the mountains, so it would have dropped into the mid-40s overnight, or about 7 degrees Celsius, if not lower. Being a small child in pyjama pants and a daytime jacket overnight, it wouldn't be unexpected for hypothermia to set in. And while there is no evidence of an animal attack like blood or torn clothing that was found, it is possible Honestly, in these cases where there is no real evidence, it's hard to rule anything out. The other two theories in this case that we're left with are accident or homicide, and that the parents and or Bob and or Isaac covered it up. With their changing stories, it definitely made law enforcement question their involvement. With an accident, you'd assume they would have called for help rather than covered it up. So if it was an accident, we have to assume it was something that would have led to criminal charges. If he ingested an illegal substance or he was left in a hot car, either accidentally or because they didn't realize how quickly a car can heat up on a hot day. I mean, even 80 degree day, which would be, what, 26 Celsius? The car can heat to 130 degrees, or according to my calculator, that's 54 degrees Celsius. If that sun is hitting the car directly, it can really heat up even if you're not feeling that hot outside. Philip Klein claimed blood was found on Vernal's truck, making some wonder if Dior was accidentally hit with the vehicle, but... I would have to imagine if it was human blood on the truck and it matched Dior, something would have come of that. That would have been major forensic evidence. And according to that phone call that was recorded, Vernal said that the FBI did test it and it was deer blood or some type of animal blood that the person who owned the truck before had hit an animal. And then there is the intentional homicide theory that for some reason one or both of the parents decided that they didn't want to have a child anymore. Some point to Jessica's ex having custody of her older children as evidence, but that honestly doesn't make any sense to me. Being a non-custodial parent does not mean that you don't want or love your children. It just means that you and your ex, or possibly the court, decided that it was better for the children to live full-time in the other home. I really bristle against this idea that the non-custodial parent being that means something about how much someone loves or wants their children. There have also been accusations against Isaac due in part to his criminal past. He's the only one of the four at the campsite with a violent crime conviction on his record. He'd been previously charged with rape, but that was downgraded to a battery charge in a domestic incident involving his ex-wife. He did leave to go fishing in a different spot and was isolated for those 20 minutes until he saw Bob looking for Dior. Then he disappeared again during the search, presumably to search for Dior. Since he wasn't seen again until search and rescue arrived, he was gone for well over an hour. 
It's also been said that he factory reset his phone that day. Not everything suspicious that happens on the day of an incident like this means it's because of the crime, though. Isaac may well have another reason to reset his phone. He knew law enforcement would want to see it, and it's possible that he had other information on there that he didn't want the police to know about. The biggest issue I see with Isaac as a suspect is that he had no vehicle there, and he took no vehicle when he went to search. In fact, Vernal's the only one who left the site during the search in a vehicle. Even if he had 20 minutes alone before the search started, and then an hour or so during the search, could he really have hurt Dior in those 20 minutes and gotten back into place fishing for when Bob found him? And then he would have gotten Dior's body out of the search area and then himself back to camp in 90 minutes. This isn't smooth terrain. He would have been carrying a two-year-old, so it's not like he would be doing a 10-minute mile. There's also lack of motive, which we know isn't always necessary or even always obvious in all crimes, but it's hard to not want to know why. Isaac does have a domestic violence past, and I don't want to sound like I'm saying that's not bad. I mean, it is. Violence against an intimate partner is as bad as violence against anyone else. It's just not the same pathology as someone who would be violent against a child he barely met. Vernal suspects Isaac, or at least wants him looked into more. Isaac did hire an attorney that next week, like Monday, so just days later, which seems odd. It seems odd to lawyer up that quickly, except that Isaac felt suspicion was on him from the family from the start, and he said he was worried he was going to be scapegoated when he had nothing to do with the disappearance. I could also understand him lawyering up if he felt suspicious of the family members as well. There is some questions, as was brought up in the Klein report, as to whether Dior was actually at the campsite at all. If Isaac is to be believed, then he was there. I have to admit that it is odd to me that the parents insist that all of these people saw Dior in town, yet no one remembers seeing him, even the ones who remember seeing his parents. So did something happen while Isaac was sleeping, after breakfast, but before they left for the store? We know that sometimes when someone lies, it isn't necessarily for the reason we think. Just like Isaac resetting his phone, it could be for an unrelated reason. There could be another reason Vernal and Jessica would lie about all of these people seeing Dior other than the fact that he wasn't with them. Is it possible that they did have Dior with them in town but left him in the car while they went into the store? We know people do this, even though it's not incredibly safe. If Dior fell asleep on the drive, or they didn't think they'd be in the store very long, perhaps they did leave him in the car, but they thought they couldn't admit to this because they'd look like bad parents, especially considering what's to come. In spite of no one backing up their claims he was in town with them, they do still insist he was there and don't know why no one remembers him. If we don't believe Isaac and say Isaac is just covering for the family, then Dior was never there. The entire camp out and disappearance would have been an elaborate cover-up. 
This is a case where social media may have played a role in diverting resources from the investigation. The questions Allie and I have been throwing out and kind of coming up with maybe an explanation to, this is happening all over social media. And then people would take what they were reading and actually call tips into the police based on what they saw in social media reports. Or social media posts would indicate that a poster had some inside knowledge and the investigators would need to follow up. All of those had to be followed up on, even though it would turn out that it was someone giving their opinion. They were stating it like a fact, but it was really just their speculation. Everyone can sit behind their computers or their microphones and come up with scenarios that could explain what happened to Dior. I mean, I'm running like three or four of them in my head right now, but speculation, it can go too far when it begins to impede investigations. On the other hand, Klein says this also worked in another way. There were witnesses who didn't want to talk because they didn't want to get skewered on social media and dragged into the online drama. There are a lot of people who think the parents are involved. Two private investigators have accused them of not being forthcoming and honest. The sheriff named them as suspect, so it's not that I'm saying people shouldn't suspect them or shouldn't be discussing the case online or even giving their opinions. The comments just need to be clearly stated that their opinions. In researching this, we saw a lot of people stating things that they think are facts that there's no proof of, even Jessica knowing where Dior's body is. She denies saying that, and he hasn't offered proof like a recording or a written statement. I mean, that's he said, she said, but people are saying, well, Jessica knows where his body is, so of course they're involved. We don't know that she said that. Klein says that there was blood on the car. Vernal says it was tested and it was deer blood. Again, he said, he said, but people are stating who they believe as though we this is accepted knowledge. So we just have to be careful what information we blindly believe and then be even more careful when we pass that along that we give the right context to it. Since Dior went missing, Jessica and Vernal have broken up. Vernal's father moved further south for his health and Vernal was offered a job there so he no longer lives in Idaho. Now of course people judge him for leaving the state since he did leave soon after being named a suspect. Jessica then married a man she knew for around two months and yes she was judged for this. Her son is missing, she's a suspect, she barely got out of a relationship with her son's father and she's out dating. Jessica, in her defence, says that she met a man who had supported her through the worst time of her life and she fell in love, that she wasn't out there dating around or anything like that. But Klein made a comment in an interview with a national TV show that Jessica had a history of erratic behaviour and getting married to someone she barely knew only reinforced this perception of her, whether that's fair or not. Vernal and Jessica continue to deny any accusations that they know or said that they know anything more about Dior's disappearance. Jessica recently, though, did a little bit of an about face on her assertions that she and Vernal are both innocent. She said in an interview with Investigation Discovery that she now thinks it's possible Vernal hurt Dior. 
They are each other's alibi for the whole of the day, so it is a little odd that she can point the finger at him. But Isaac did say only Jessica was down at the creek with him. When the family searched for Dior, Vernal and Jessica split up and they were both alone. And we know Vernal got into his truck and drove away from the campsite. He said to find cell service for this 911 call, but it's unclear how far he did drive away from the campsite. Jessica said she falls apart daily and it seems like Vernal just went on with his life. But Vernal says this isn't true and that he spends every day trying to figure out what happened to his son. In cases like this where there are constantly changing stories, it just brings up more questions and answers. Like As we have done throughout this episode, there are just so many questions that we're probably never going to get the answer to. This case reminded me a lot of Mary Boyle, where one person saw her last, thought she was going back to her family, and no one's seen her again. And in this case, though, with libel laws apparently being a lot less strict than in Ireland, people are naming every suspect. So researching this case was a lot different than the Mary Boyle case, which Jessica had helped me with as well. So she even noted that on the research that, wow, this is sounding a little bit like Mary Boyle, except that we can put all this information out there and accuse whoever we want. I think whatever happened to Dior, it's absolutely tragic that this little boy is missing, that if his parents didn't do it, his grandfather, his great-grandfather Isaac If none of them are involved and they're going to live the rest of their lives under the shadow of suspicion, that's adding to the tragedy. But if they were involved and here we are, what, two and a half years later, and nobody's been held accountable for it, it's just no way this is going to resolve in a way that's not just compounding the tragedy. Dior Kuntz was two when he went missing, but he's would be five years old now. There is an age progression photo to the age of four available online. He has blonde hair and he has brown or hazel eyes. If you do have any information, not social media information, but actual information, you can call 1-800-THE-LOST. Many out there are worried that the accusations against his parents are discouraging people from actively looking for Dior. But if he's out there, he needs to be brought home. He needs and deserves to be found. If he is deceased, then he needs justice. <laughs> 